Thanks for visiting DaveNevins.com. What you're about to hear is a good short course overview on the charismatic dimension of Christianity. Charismatic, what is that? It's all about charisms, special gifts that include amazing things like receiving visions or many other distributions of power that Christ promised us. So you don't want to miss this lecture by Carol Brown, whom I got to know when she was the director of evangelistic outreach at the University of Steubenville. This talk was given to a Roman Catholic young adult audience at a conference workshop. However, the content is ecumenical, covering that key, core, common center of Christianity. So it's helpful for anybody desiring a more direct encounter with Christ, but especially pivotal for Catholics, since non-Catholic Christians generally have more resources on this topic. It starts a little basic, but then it gets moving, so stay with it. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome you to uh, this little workshop on the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, why don't we just start with a prayer, okay? Lord our God, we just thank you for the power and the mystery and the awesome love of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray that this day you will let an anointing fall in this room so that each of us can begin the process of discovering our destiny in you and stir up all the graces and gifts needed also for the upbuilding of the church and its mission in the world. We ask you to be our guest today, to bring to mind all the things that need to be said, and to fade into the background anything that's not important. And we ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. First of all, welcome to Washington, D.C. How many from Washington? Right here? Not very many. How many? Who, what's the furthest away we come from in here? New York. New York? Anybody further from New York? Jersey. Jersey? <laughs> okay. North Carolina? How about anybody? Atlanta? Okay. California. California. I think you win the prize. Huh. What? Kansas City? Pretty close. Okay. So I was going to say any Dakotans in here? South Dakota? Minnesota? <laughs> Michigan. Okay. Up there with the Yupers. Yaman. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. That's Jamaica. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how many of you saw Lord of the Rings? Everybody? Oh, anybody not see Lord of the Rings? Okay, there's a guy named Gandalf, who's kind of the big wise man in, in Lord of the Rings. And he says to Frodo, who's a hobbit, they're about this tall. He says to Frodo, even the smallest person can change the course of the future. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. Well, Frodo had a very important mission to carry out. And there were times when he didn't know if he could do it, when he was just on the, on the edge of giving up. And one day, another character in the story named Galadriel comes to him and says, If you don't do this, Frodo, no one will. In some mysterious way, you need to hear that call from God in your own heart. God has a mission for you that if you don't do, it's not going to happen. And he's going to supply everything that you need in order to make that happen. So that's what we're here to talk about today, the power of the Holy Spirit to bring all that about. And I have four goals in the time that I spend with you today. First of all, is to solidify and to clarify this sort of vague understanding of the Holy Spirit that tends to kind of underlie the way that we approach our faith. We sometimes think of the Holy Spirit as the forgotten person of the Holy Trinity. <laughs> and I think that's getting better um, in the last couple of decades. It seems like more attention has begun to be paid to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has been on the move. <laughs> okay, He's been showing up in some very interesting places. Also to solidify and to clarify what exactly happened when we were baptized and confirmed because that's really key in this whole thing. Then I want to share with you a little bit about what the church has been saying in recent years about the charismatic dimension of our faith. And then lastly, to share a little bit more about what we call the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
because they're specifically geared for the building up of the church, and we are in a time when the church really needs to be built up. Um, And I'm going to be sharing a bit of my own personal story in this as well, and kind of the journey that I've made with it. So, first of all, what do we know about the Holy Spirit already? What do we just know from catechesis or the Creator? He's God, right. He's actually the third person of the Holy Trinity. What else? Yes, he is with us on earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's the one that came to the apostles on Pentecost when they were gathered in the upper room. Very good. Okay, when we speak of the Holy Trinity, we talk about it in terms of God giving himself to himself, God the Father giving himself to Jesus, Jesus giving himself back to the Father. The dynamic love between them is a whole other third person. What else? What from the creed do we know? We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, right? He is the one who breathed life into you. He breathed life into Adam. Um, When Mary said yes to the Holy Spirit, it brought about the conception of Jesus. Okay, there's something really powerful about saying yes to the Holy Spirit. He is the one who inspired the scriptures, okay? We speak of the scriptures as the God-breathed, the inspired word of God, that this actually came from the very breath of God. He is also the one who guides the church. If you remember in um, at the Last Supper, he said, I will not leave you orphans, but I will send you a helper, and he will remind you of everything that I told you. So where do we first usually receive the Holy Spirit? Where, when do we first usually encounter him? In baptism, right. That's where we usually first encounter him, which is not to say that the Holy Spirit couldn't go to somebody who has not yet been baptized. Because we see in scripture uh, examples of people who, who have not yet been baptized, but even upon hearing the words of the apostles, they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. And then the apostles said, well, if they've already got the Holy Spirit, what's to keep them from being baptized? The Holy Spirit is not bound or limited to only coming through baptism. So when we're baptized, what do we receive? What happens when we get baptized? You become a member of the body of the church. That's right. What else? Right. The Trinity comes to live inside of us. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. We also receive the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Um, And also other gifts in seed form that are called charisms. A charism is defined by Webster as a divinely inspired gift, grace, or talent. And I like to use the analogy of a package of seeds. Okay, If you go out to Lowe's today and you decide you're going to plant some flowers and you don't get around to it for a while, those packages of seeds can sit on the shelf in the garage for a long time and not turn into flowers. Right? There's a whole other process that's involved in making those seeds turn into flowers. But the seeds are there. Okay, They might be sitting on the shelf in the garage in our heart, <laughs> but they're there. All right? Something supernatural happens when you're baptized, okay? Um, you're marked, you receive this grace, and you are cleansed from sin. You maybe even know all this intellectually. I mean, we know all this stuff in our heads, but it's never become active in our lives. And you guys can probably think of people you know who are baptized and confirmed, and there is absolutely not a shred of evidence in their life that they're a Christian. I know people like that. I know people like that in my own family. <laughs> you know, That's a real reality, that this can remain ineffective, in a sense, in our life. Confirmation is that the work of the Holy Spirit is enhanced so that we can live holier lives and begin the process of maturing according to God's will for us. Its effect on us is supposed to be to mature us, okay? And 
when we start cooperating with what comes to us in baptism and confirmation, we can really get on the road. Okay, we can really stop wandering. We start getting the, the, the software, so to speak, to track with God. God not only has this plan for us, but he also starts to activate this desire to do God's will for us. And as we respond to these graces, gradually our lives are changed and transformed. And we get on that journey to transforming union. Did you know that everyone in this room is called to mystical union with God? I know that might be a big (laughs) surprise to some of you and hopefully not too scary. But anyway, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in us is called the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, patience, gentleness, joy, self-control, faithfulness. You know what I'm talking about? So when you've encountered somebody who's awake and alive and in love with God, there's something different about them, isn't there? Okay, I was watching Father Larry this morning on the on the stage, and I was like, man, there is somebody really alive in that body. <laughs> you know, there is somebody really alive in those eyes, you know. There's something different about somebody who's cooperating with the Holy Spirit in their lives. It doesn't take a whole lot of reflection, as I mentioned before, that there are a lot of people, a lot of Catholics, who have not begun that journey yet. And I can name some notable examples. Adolf Hitler was a baptized Catholic. So was Joseph Stalin. Okay, John Walker Lind, who's from this area, I think was a member of St. Bernadette's Parish, somewhere within the D.C. metro area here. Uh, Timothy McVeigh, who blew up the building in uh, Oklahoma City in 1995. Okay, altar boy, confirmed, whole nine yards, regular mass attender up in Buffalo. Something wasn't connecting there. Now, I'm not ruling out the possibility that mental illness might have been at work in some of those situations, you know. Um, But you have to wonder... If that kind of destruction could be unleashed in a person who was not cooperating with the Holy Spirit, what kind of creativity could be unleashed in a person who is? That is exactly what happened at Pentecost. He started with this little band of followers. And this little band of followers changed the course of history. They were a little band of absolutely awake, committed, fruit-bearing people. When we're letting the Holy Spirit work through us, we're empowered to evangelize because we can bring the gospel to the world in an alive way like you experienced this morning. I was alive if I ever saw alive. Because we've been convinced that it's true because of what we've experienced. We've encountered a person. We've encountered a person who has changed our life. And so this leads me to ask a rhetorical question. And you don't have to answer it out loud in this room, but just in the inner holy of holies of your heart to ask yourself, Are you convinced of the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you convinced about God's love for you? Have you been changed by it? Are you experiencing the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Because just like knowing about Jesus is different from knowing Jesus, same thing with the Holy Spirit. We can know about the Holy Spirit without knowing the Holy Spirit, without experiencing his transforming power in our lives. And one of the reasons for that, I think sometimes, is that um, we're accustomed to the Lord working in kind of real specific ways, you know? And we kind of have this sort of little boxed-in idea about how, how God can do his work. The church challenged that in, uh, in 1964. Lumen Gentium is the church's constitution, divine constitution on the church. And if you read section 12 in here, I just want to read a little portion through it, of it. It says, it is not only through the sacraments and the ministrations of the church that the Holy Spirit makes holy the people, leads them, and enriches them with his virtues. Allotting his gifts according as he wills, he also distributes special graces among the faithful of every rank. 
And by these gifts, he makes them fit and ready to undertake various tasks and offices for the renewal and building up of the church. As it is written, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for profit. Whether these charisms may be very remarkable or more simple and widely diffused, they are to be received with thanksgiving and consolation since they're fitting and useful for the needs of the church. The Holy Spirit is allotting these charisms as he wills, however he wills. Ordinary, extraordinary, the whole broad range. We don't pick some charisms and leave others out. The whole broad range is there to spread out as the Holy Spirit decides. Who knows the mind of God? I don't. <laughs> I don't know why he gives some people, you know, these, these really kind of public, splashy gifts. And other people have more quiet, you know, interior kind of gifts. But, but we'll take whatever God wants to give, right? Um, one of the ways that God has begun to work in recent years, and I think really has through the whole history of the church, is through this thing called baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'll just take you to Acts chapter 1. And this is after Jesus was raised from the dead and before he ascended into heaven. It says that Jesus presented himself alive to them, that is the disciples, by many proofs after he had suffered, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While meeting with them, he enjoined them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father about which you have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, now look, don't go anywhere until you've experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until after they experienced baptism in the Holy Spirit that something clicked for them and they understood their mission. Now, the United States Catholic bishops in 1997 wrote a document called Grace for the New Springtime. And in that document, they tell us what baptism in the Holy Spirit is. Okay? They say, baptism in the Holy Spirit makes Jesus Christ known and loved as Lord and Savior, establishes or reestablishes an immediacy of relationship with all the persons of the Trinity, and through inner transformation affects the whole of the Christian's life. There is new life and a new conscious awareness of God's power and presence. It's a grace experience which touches every dimension of the church's life. Worship, preaching, teaching, ministry, evangelism, prayer and spirituality, service and community. Because of this, it is our conviction, okay, U.S. Catholic bishops speaking here, it's our conviction that baptism in the Holy Spirit, understood as the reawakening in Christian experience of the presence and action of the Holy Spirit given in Christian initiation and manifested in a broad range of charisms, including those closely associated with the Catholic charismatic renewal, is part of the normal Christian life. Let me shrink that sentence for you a minute. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is part of the normal Christian life. And if what I've just described to you is what it is, how could anybody not want it? If it's what makes Jesus Christ known and loved, if it's what um, empowers us to evangelize, gives us a new conscious awareness of God's power and presence, how can we not want that? You know, The bishops go on to say, we encourage the whole church to look into and embrace baptism in the Holy Spirit as the power of personal and communal transformation with all the graces and charisms needed for the upbuilding of the church and for our mission in the world. We've got a destiny to fulfill here. Okay, so let's stop, pause for a minute, and let's think about somebody else's destiny. A man named Peter. Something was different about Peter after Pentecost. Let's go back to the Acts of the Apostle. In chapter 2 of Acts, all of a sudden, Peter is able to proclaim what he hasn't been able to proclaim with any courage at all. He's given the power to proclaim and explain to these Jews that he's been hiding from behind locked doors ever since Jesus was crucified. The scripture says that the people that heard him were cut to the heart. 
Okay, these were the same hard-hearted people that wouldn't listen to Jesus. <laughs> now they're listening to Peter? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> What's going on there? You know? Scripture says, observing the boldness of Peter and John and perceiving them to be uneducated, ordinary men, they were amazed. They were amazed. And they decided to be baptized. 3,000 were added that day. 3,000 people got baptized that day on Peter's testimony. Is this the same guy? Is this the same guy? I don't think so. Something happened there. Something changed him. He experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised. You might feel like a simple, uneducated, ordinary person. I'm a rancher's daughter, from a cattle rancher's daughter from the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. I grew up in 4-H and leading cows around with halters on. <laughs> what has God done? This grace is available to you. So what's it like when somebody gets baptized in the Holy Spirit? Does it always look like it looked in the upper room at Pentecost? You know, they're all gathered in the upper room and tongues of fire come down and then all of everybody speaks in tongues. Is that what it looks like? Well, sometimes, you know, that's the way it happened to them. It doesn't happen that exact way to everybody, though. Okay? For some people, it's a much more gradual unfolding. So sometimes um, when someone's being prayed with for baptism in the Holy Spirit, they don't even aren't even sure they believe in God. Okay, And then, boom, the Holy Spirit falls, and they get the grace of conversion, and all of a sudden there are these mature gifts right there. Prophecy, gift of tongues, whatever. Okay, Sometimes it happens that way. I know a guy that when he got prayed with for baptism in the Holy Spirit, perfect, beautiful French came out of his mouth. He doesn't know French. I know French. I've heard him speak in tongues. It's French. It's beautiful French. You know, now not everybody gets French either. You know, I mean, God knows each person in their own unique way. He knows how he wants to empower these gifts in each person according to the person, according to the the mode of the receiver. Um, Sometimes the conversion happens at this time in your life and the manifestation of the gifts comes years later. Okay. So in my own life, um, I fell in love with Jesus Christ when I was 15 years old. Okay. And I, and I knew he loved me and I wanted to do anything I could to assist him, to help him, to love him. Right. And I got involved in ministry and I did lots of things, but I got turned off by the charismatic renewal when I first encountered it. Went to a charismatic prayer meeting when I was 18 or 19 years old. And I decided this is not for me. I don't want anything to do with this. I'll tell you more about that later. For me, the gifts didn't start to to emerge until I was 26. Long stretch between conversion and manifestation of gifts. Now, I didn't have any of this language to talk about. But God did that in that way because that's how I needed it to happen. Okay? So we don't sort of set the agenda for God. Okay? God gets to set the agenda. We say, yes, you can open my package of seeds, Lord, and you can plant them. And you can. I give you permission to take what is latent in me and make it active. According to your will. Baptism in the Holy Spirit can be experienced as an overwhelming sense of peace and joy in the Lord. Okay? Just an awareness of God's presence that just sets everything at ease. It can be experienced as um, a love of scripture. One of the girls that I prayed with for baptism in the Holy Spirit a few years ago, 
was a you know, good, faithful girl, but never had read the Bible. And saw her a couple days after, after she'd been prayed with for baptism in the Holy Spirit. Actually, it was a couple weeks. And she said, I don't know what happened to me, but I can't stop reading scripture. It's just like a page turner, you know. All of a sudden, she's just eating it up. Um, so the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden comes alive. All of a sudden, it's speaking to you in a new way that it just before maybe it was kind of just flat on the page. Sometimes, when you're prayed with for baptism in the Holy Spirit, the Lord will put his finger on the one thing that continually separates you from him. Um, tell you a little story about a girl named Katie. Katie went through our Born of the Spirit program. She said, you know, I, I really felt peace about getting prayed with for baptism in the Holy Spirit, but ever since then I've just felt lousy. So I started probing and asking some questions and... As we talked, I learned a little bit about Katie's history, which I hadn't known her much before that. She had been in religious life then for two or three years. And as you know, or maybe you don't know, discerning a religious vocation is a discernment of two people. It's the person, but it's also the community. The community kind of co-discerns with you. Do you have a vocation to be with us for the rest of your life? And her community came to the conclusion that this was not where God was calling her to be. Wasn't what she was hearing in her heart, but it was what the community was hearing. So as she's telling me this story, all of a sudden she paused and she said, you know that part in that prayer when we prayed for baptism in the Holy Spirit where you give your whole life to God, you, know, you say, I give my whole life to you. She said, you know what I thought? I thought to myself, I already gave my life to God and he gave it back, you know. So here the Lord had put his finger on this sense of rejection that she had from him. She thought that God had rejected her. And so God needed to get at that before they could move any further in their relationship. I've seen this happen on a number of different kinds of occasions where, where people come with certain wounds and they don't understand why the Lord let one thing or another or another happen. And that's got to be squared with before any more progress can be made. So sometimes the Lord will put his finger on something painful when you're prayed with for baptism in the Holy Spirit. He's going to shine, may shine his light on something that you've misunderstood about him. Something that you need to understand in a new way. Okay? So anyway, baptism in the Holy Spirit, however the Lord manifests it, and it can be in all these different kinds of ways, and because there's a hundred different people in this room, it can manifest itself in a hundred different ways on a hundred different schedules. Okay? Sometimes there's drama, and sometimes there isn't. Okay? I count myself in the non-drama crowd. When I fell in love with Jesus and nobody talked to me about charismatic gifts. And when they did talk to me about charismatic gifts, I wanted nothing to do with them. You know? And then when, when I did open my heart to them, they didn't come. <laughs> so it's God's deal. Um, and it, but anyway, it's an experience is what I'm trying to tell you. It's something that you do experience, however gradually or however quickly. Just to go into what some of the gifts are. Okay, let's, let's look at scripture. Isaiah 11. If you've ever heard of gifts of the Holy Spirit, these are the ones you usually hear about. Wisdom, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, understanding, fear of the Lord. These gifts are the ones that are normally considered the sanctifying gifts. They're the ones that make you holy. Of course, we need them, right? But there's another list of gifts, or a couple of lists of gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, you hear about wisdom and knowledge and faith, uh, but you also hear about healing and miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. These gifts, St. Paul says, are for the building up of the church. Some of these are considered extraordinary gifts, but we're finding out in the last 30 or 40 years that 
Maybe the extraordinary part is that people are cooperating with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> there is this enormous range of charisms, okay? It's not limited just to what I told you, not limited to just what's listed in Scripture, but all the individual gifts and how they're manifested in each individual person. All these gifts, norm, uh, extraordinary and ordinary, were a normal part of the early Christian life. And St. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, urges his readers not to despise the workings of the Holy Spirit. Do not despise the working of the Holy Spirit. But he says, strive eagerly for the spiritual gifts. Especially that you might prophesy. When was the last time somebody encouraged you to prophesy? Strive to prophesy. Whew. And he says, St. Paul says, since you strive eagerly, seek to have an abundance of them for the building up of the gifts. Sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, I mean, if God wants to give me gifts, that's fine. But I'm not going to ask. You know, I think it's wrong to ask us. I think it's wrong to seek after gifts. You know, seek the giver, not the gifts. Well, that's not what St. Paul says. He says, strive eagerly. Seek to have an abundance of them for the building up of the church. Now, all of this is ordered to love. 1 Corinthians 13, a whole chapter 12, 13, and 14. This is kind of your manual for the use of the charisms in the church. Okay? And John of the Cross, by the way, if you, how many John of the Cross fans in here? Any, any John of the Cross fans? He's a poet and a, spiritual, a master spiritual director. He's got a poem called Ascent of Mount Carmel. And in the commentary on Ascent of Mount Carmel, he's got a whole chapter on the use and ordering of the charismatic gifts. These charismatic gifts that I'm telling you about, tongues, you know, healing, miracles, the whole nine yards, all of it. And he says, look, these gifts have uh, both a temporal and a spiritual benefit. Obviously, temporal benefit, healing the blind. Blind guy can see now. That's a temporal benefit, right? But if it doesn't lead to the spiritual gift, that is that you are deepened in your love, forget about it. Don't focus exclusively on the gifts and lose the love. They've got to be ordered to the love. So the importance of this might not be initially perceived. You can kind of, you know, sort of put it on the fringe and say, oh, you know, those charismatic people. And it's sort of something for people over there. But this is a gift and a grace and a special time in the church for right now. All right? I want to just share some personal stories here. In my own journey, I had a, a block, as I told you, about the whole charismatic thing. And um, when I was in college, that was when I got taken to my first charismatic prayer meeting. And I had never seen anything like this before. I was very turned off. People keeling over on the floor and speaking in tongues and, you know, fainting everywhere. And um, I just assumed that this was an instance of psychological manipulation, you know, kind of herd instinct. And so I decided that it wasn't something I wanted to be open to. Thankfully, years and years later, a friend of mine was, she was a youth ministry volunteer at the church where I was working. She called me up and she said, you know, um, I had some bad memories come up and somebody told me it'd be a good idea for me to go to the healing mass and ask for prayers. Would you come with me? So I said, sure. I don't think I knew that healing masses were charismatic or I might not have gone. But uh, so anyway, I'm stuck here. I'm at this, this healing mass and there's people doing this. There's people speaking in tongues and I'm thinking, oh no. <laughs> uh, okay, well, get through it. So my friend goes into this little closet where the prayer team is at. And I'm sitting in the back row of the church just thinking about all the reasons why I'm glad I'm not charismatic. And I don't like the charismatic thing. And that's for other people and not for me. Thinking about all the different steps in the journey why I had made up my mind this was not for me. And all of a sudden, this thought goes through my mind. Yeah, what the heck, it can't hurt. <laughs> so I go trotting into one of the little prayer rooms, and um, there's a team of people in there ready to pray. And uh, they don't know me, you know, don't know anything about me, never met me before. And I sit down in the chair, and the lady that was leading it, her name was Patty. And she said, um, oh, what would you like prayer for, Carol? And I said, well, 
I said, I'm having some frustrations at work, so you could pray for me for my frustrations at work. And I didn't go into any detail about it. And they didn't know any details about what I was frustrated about. But um, while I was sitting there, um, Patty laid her hands on me, and she starts to pray in tongues. And I'm going to just pause the story just for a minute, and I'm going to go back in time and tell you what I was frustrated with that she didn't know, but you're going to know. I was working as a youth director in a large cathedral parish in a diocese. The, the people there were Air Force. It, we were near an Air Force base, and so the Air Force people would come in, they'd volunteer, get them trained up, and then they'd get orders to go somewhere else. And I couldn't get any momentum going in this youth ministry program I was trying to do. And I loved these kids, and I so wanted them to know the Lord. But there were just way too many of them for me to know. Okay, there were like probably a thousand kids in this parish, and I maybe knew 70 of them by name. I don't know, maybe not even that many. And I'm running programs, and I'm running my tail off, and I'm very busy, and and, I'm not getting anywhere, you know, pedaling a stationary bike. And uh, so I tell this lady, oh, I'm kind of frustrated with some things at work. So she she, um, lays her hands on me, and she starts to pray in tongues. And then she pauses, and she says, Carol, I'm getting this image. She says, In my mind's eye, I have this picture of you, and you're climbing up a mountain. And this mountain is strewn with stones. There's rocks covering the whole mountain. And you're going around, and you're trying to pick up all these rocks. And you're trying to carry them to the top of the mountain. And she said, the higher you climb, the more fatigued you become, until all of a sudden all your rocks, you just collapse in fatigue, and all your rocks go drop, rolling down to the bottom of the mountain. She said, does that mean anything to you? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> She's describing my life, okay, in, in, in a picture form. She doesn't know what it means, but I sure do. So she starts praying a little bit more. She's praying in tongues. And then she says, it is to be, Carol, that you are not to try to pick up all these stones. You are to pick up the most precious and beautiful ones and trust that the Lord is going to bring the rest. What she didn't know and what I wasn't even conscious of was this sense that I thought God was disappointed in me because I couldn't get this thing going the way I wanted to. Okay, I had a grand vision, but I, there was no way I could get it going. And God, in that few minutes, not only corrected my plan, but he corrected my misperception of him. Do you know how many years of therapy it would have taken to uncover that? Okay. <laughs> okay. He didn't need a therapist. Okay. By the power of the Holy Spirit, she was able to go right to the heart of this warp in my vision. Two warps, actually. My, my vision of myself and what I could do and my vision of what, what God wanted and what, how God felt about what I was doing. And that was when I knew that there was something more to this whole charismatic thing than psychological suggestion. There was something supernatural about this. And I knew that I needed to find out what it was. So I'm going to go into some explanation of the extraordinary gifts. I'm trusting that you have an idea of what wisdom is, what counsel is, what understanding is. I'm trusting that you have some idea of what those things are. But I'm suspecting that you may not be as familiar with um, some of these extraordinary gifts. So let me just share a few of them with you. First of all, the gift of tongues. Scripture describes the gift of tongues as the least of the gifts. Okay? So I've heard people say, well, who needs the gift of tongues then? That's the least of the gifts. Okay, look. It's the least of the gifts like the bottom stair on the stairway is the bottom stair. (laughs) Okay? It's the least. It's the lowest. It's going to be helpful to get up the stairs if you take that one. Okay? It will be helpful to you if you can yield to the gift of tongues 
to um, also yield to the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tongues is a language of praise. Okay, you've had the, you may have had the experience if you're in love with the Lord, which which I have had, of sometimes being so overwhelmed with this with this powerful love of God that you just you can't tell Him how awesome you think He is. You know, you just start going through your mind of God, I you're just awesome. I just love you. You're great. You're super. I just you can't believe how great you are. You're you're wonderful. You're awesome. You're wonderful. You're um you're wonderful. You're yeah. You know, you kind of run out of words. Our English language which is kind of limited in that regard, right? At least I've experienced that. One of the graces of, of using the gift of tongues is you never run out of words. You never run out of languages. God himself praises himself using languages that you don't even know, okay? And maybe lots of people don't know. And uh, it has this way of just opening you up to receive something God wants to give you, which is one of the other effects of using the gift of tongues. If you ever went through the experience of arriving at your class when the chalkboard was all covered with notes. What's your teacher got to do before he can put his lecture on the board? Got to erase the board, right. You probably come to prayer sometimes where you're distracted and your mind is full of lots of things or prayer meetings or prayer gatherings with your household or whatever. I know some of you are from Franciscan, you say you have households. You come and you just, you just got a lot of things on your mind, okay? Somehow, using the gift of tongues has this ability to sort of clear the mind so that it's available so that the Lord can put a word on your mind or a picture on your mind or or lead you to a scripture there's something about that that's very powerful in terms of getting on the Holy Spirit's wavelength and letting him communicate into your own mind your, through your own intuition uh, whatever he wants to communicate so it's a very helpful thing. In my own life, um, that gift did not come to me in the way that people usually think it should. People usually think the gift of tongues just comes flooding out like my friend that got French. You know, it just comes out. It's a fully developed language. In my life, it did not come forth in that way. My own journey went along these lines. At, on that night at that healing mass, I decided that I needed to pursue this. I needed to find out more about it. And I knew there was a charismatic prayer group in my, in my city. So I started going to the charismatic prayer group. I'd been going for probably two or three months, sit in the back of the room, and I just pray the Our Father under my breath. You know, Our Father, right now, and I'll be the name of the kingdom come and what we done and Who would know I wasn't speaking in tongues, right? So I'm kind of hiding. I don't want them to know I can't speak in tongues, but I'm... Uh... So... One night I arrived late. It's, I've been there for about three months, and it was really kind of amazing because when I would pray with people who were using the gift of tongues, I would sometimes get images. But somebody around me had to be praying in tongues, or I, I didn't get anything. So I arrived this one night, and I'm kind of late, and so I slip into a chair, and I'm sitting in the back there, and I'm praying to our Father, Lord, and I'll be done, and I'll be done, and be done and while everybody else is praying in tongues. And Patty, the same woman that had prayed over me at the, prayer, at the uh, healing mass, stops, and she says, Carol... I have this image. <laughs> I've heard that before. She says, I have this image. She says, we're all kind of gathered in the in this circle and we're praying and the power of the Holy Spirit is just coming down on everybody except for you. <laughs> and she said, um, and you're kind of on the outside of the circle and you look a little bit unhappy. And I said, well, I mean, I don't feel unhappy. I mean, I'm fine. I mean, I have, I don't, maybe I don't have any of these gifts, but I mean, that's okay with me. I mean, if God doesn't want to give me gifts, that's okay. I mean, you know, maybe English is my prayer language. I mean, that's okay. That's fine. I mean, so, you know, I'm happy to just be with you guys. And she started laughing at me and she started, she just got up from her chair and she came over at the like this, you know. <laughs> 
you know, I'm like, I don't know. It's not coming. I, I don't know how to make it go. So Claire on the, on my left, this very brilliant woman doctor, she's got a, had her doctorate in, um, counseling psychology, uh, real solid, smart lady, very spiritual woman, uh, is also praying. And she says, I'm getting the sense that there might be an intellectual block here. So the whole group starts to pray that my intellectual block would be removed. Okay. So I'm sitting here in my white fog and all of a sudden a new picture in my mind's eye is of uh, a blood clot. And I'm watching this blood clot and all of a sudden the blood clot goes washing away. As soon as the blood clot has washed away, Claire says, I think it's gone now. Okay, there went my intellectual block. So Claire says to me, okay, listen to the way that I'm praying and just pray along with me. And I'm thinking, you mean like imitate you? I mean, I just got over an intellectual block here. I'm going to do that. But because I trusted these people, okay, and I had been with them for three months, and I had seen the precision the evidence, not only of the fruit of the Spirit in their life, but the accuracy of their gifts, I went with it. I went, I took a risk. I stepped out on a limb. That's how I learned to pray in tongues. That's how it came to me. That may be the way it comes to you. As I said, the Lord will work in every different life in every different way. In my own life, one of my problems is intellectual pride. And one of the things in my life that had to be dealt with was intellectual pride. So we had to do something that humiliated the intellect. The intellect says, this is stupid. (laughs) What are you doing? You know better than this. But that was how God worked. That was how he brought that about in my life. And I think it's been 10 years now, 10 or 11 years now since that time. And I can only begin to tell you of the fruit that taking that little risk has borne in my life. All right. When, as I said before, when you take the least of the gifts, you take that first step in the stairway with these extraordinary gifts, other gifts tend to come, okay? Word gifts, like a specific scripture sometimes or a specific phrase from scripture. Prophecy is a gift where God will manifest his own thoughts in your life. So like you maybe are at a prayer meeting with other people that are using these gifts and someone will come up and they'll come to, the, to, to share a word and it's actually like in first person where, where God himself is saying, my children, this, I want you to focus on repentance or whatever. God, God kind of does it in first person language. Okay, Telling you to seek a certain grace or do a certain action or foster or remove a certain attitude or tell you to prepare for certain events. One of the funny little things the Lord does in my life is he will make a word circle around in my mind when he's convicting me of sin. This is how he convicts me of sin. He'll make a word circle around in my mind like vituperative, okay? Anybody know what vituperative means? Me neither. I had to go look it up in the dictionary. (laughs) But the Lord was convicting me of a certain sin. Being abusive in speech or language is what it means. You know, I had been, I think, swearing a lot or something, and that was how the Lord got to that sin. You know, he'll tell me a word I don't know the meaning of, my own self, and I have to go look it up in the dictionary, and that's how I know it's from God. Pictures or images. I've shared some examples of that already, where suddenly an image disappears on the screen of your imagination and gives you a, a sense of direction or an insight into a situation. You know, Patty, not knowing me at all, not knowing me from Adam, got this image that got right to the heart of what I was struggling with. Discernment of spirits, where a person is able to see through the outward appearance of an action or an inspiration to judge the source. 
I know people who can see spirits. I have no reason to believe that they're lying to me because the integrity of their life on every other level seems to support that they're honest, truth-telling people. One friend of mine, a guy named Tom, could see little spirits around that would have a word written on their head, like mischief, okay, or lust. Uh, that's one kind of discernment of spirits. There's also a discernment of spirits that you can learn. Through um, the Ignatian rules for the discernment of spirits, you can learn a certain way of figuring out what's going on. It's more of an intellectual process. But there's also this supernatural gift of discernment of spirits where your intuition is really activated and sensitized to what's going on. Interpretation of tongues, where you can understand what someone speaking in tongues is saying. We've seen more and more of that in recent years at Franciscan U. A healing, of course, um, all of you know what healing is, you know, um, you've heard of people who've had hands laid on them and all of a sudden the cancer is gone or the tumor is gone or Father Mike uh, Scanlon tells the story of his very first experience with healing when he was very first, you know, starting to discover the power of the Holy Spirit and he went to a, uh, they, it was some kind of a Christian businessmen's meeting and um, a man came up to him and uh, he had spent most of his life um, being critical of Catholics and Catholic priests especially and the Holy Spirit told him to go to Father Mike to be healed of his deafness so he went up to Father Mike and said I don't know why but I'm supposed to come to you to be healed from my deafness so Father Mike remembered the story from scripture where you stick your fingers in people's ears <laughs> so he, he stuck his fingers in this guy's ears didn't really know what was going to happen and all of a sudden they both felt this zap you know like this current of energy and the guy was healed of his deafness that was his very first healing experience so he has he actually has good uh, good luck with uh, ears so if you need to have trouble with your ears that's one of father mike's special charismatic gifts something to know with this is that these gifts don't usually come in their mature form uh, remember they were seeds in a package when you got them in baptism and when the Holy Spirit begins to activate them there is a process of maturing them which means that sometimes you miss the mark you know um, I use the example when, I, when a kid gets a bow and arrow set for Christmas you know he's kind of got to practice with it before he always hits the mark so there's always got to be some communal discernment on somebody's gifts and on, on your gifts so when you're starting to use these you always want to check in with people because you want to grow you know you want to get precise you don't want your ego to be caught up in this there's terrible pride that can sort of grow up with this. It's a weed. So you always want to use the weed control. Ask people for feedback. Was I, you know, was that, you think I was on with that or was I off? And just always be open to the possibility that you might have missed a little bit or I'll also be open to sharing with people. You know, I really felt like this part that you said was anointed and from the Lord, but I felt like a little of your humanness got caught up in it over here in, in this part and just thought I'd give you a little feedback. So we need to both be open to giving and receiving feedback in this. And to remember, the gifts are for the benefit of the whole community, and that's where they usually work best. I don't usually get images and picture gifts when I'm just praying in my room by myself. I can enter into the scripture that way, but most of the time when very anointed images come is when I'm praying with other people. So, in any case, these gifts, whatever they might be, are to be received with thanksgiving and consolation since they're fitting and useful for the needs of the church. So says Second Vatican Council in the Dogmatic Constitution on the Church. Right here, um, on the back table over there, there are some handouts. I'd like to just point out a few things to you. One of, one of the handouts is a little prayer 
This is the convening prayer for Second Vatican Council. John the Twenty-Third wrote it, and when he convened the Second Vatican Council, one of the things he prayed for was he said to the Lord, "Renew in our own days your miracles as of a second Pentecost." I really see the um, the renewal of the charisms and the charismatic dimension of our faith as a fruit of this prayer. Heaven has loosed the Holy Spirit in a new way, and what a great time to be alive! Point out a few things. I have some other articles, and these are great, okay, just for background. Woman and the Pope. This is a story about a woman back at the end of the 1800s who approached Leo XIII and said, we really need to ask for a reactivation of the Holy Spirit in the church. And the Pope said, I think you're right. He sent out a letter to the, all the churches of the world saying, I want you to pray a novena to the Holy Spirit. Didn't happen. So he sent out another letter. He said, listen, I'd hear you're not doing what I asked you to do. Please pray this novena to the Holy Spirit. Still didn't happen. So on the night of December 31st, 1900, on behalf of the whole church, Leo XIII sang the Veni Sancti Spiritus in St. Peter's um, Church in Rome. And the next morning in Kansas, Alice Osman of some corner church in Kansas <laughs> was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Interesting coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's a very interesting providence of God responding to the prayer of the Holy Father. And if, if the Catholic Church wasn't in a place to receive it, he knew who was. And thanks be to God for our Protestant brothers and sisters who have been so good to kind of help us with all this. Secondly, grace for the new springtime. This is the United States Catholic bishops on the charismatic renewal in our church. How many of you have ever heard of Father Renero Cantalamesa? few of you? Okay, let me tell you who Contalamesa is. When Pope John Paul II was inaugurated Pope, he was going to bed one night in his apartment, and he could hear somebody yelling his name down in the courtyard in St. Peter's. John Paul II, John Paul II. So he goes to the window and he looks down, here's this little man out in the circle saying, Coraggio, Coraggio, you know, courage. Every night, John Paul II, John Paul II, go to the window, there he is, Coraggio. So finally he sends somebody out to find out who this is. Turns out that it's Father Renero Cantalamesa, who is an OFM Capuchin. And he asked Father Cantalamesa if he would like to be the preacher of the papal household. Father Cantalamesa wrote an article called Baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's some of the best sacramental theology I've ever read. It talks about sacraments being tied, okay, meaning that. Sometimes when we're baptized, if we don't give our assent to what baptism means, if we don't consent to this grace, it doesn't get activated. It's a great article. So if you want to read what he thinks, it's very well thought of by the Pope, obviously. That's baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Father's 1998 Pentecost Address. And in this 1998 Pentecost Address, he had called all the movements in the church, in the world, all the young movements like uh, Focolari and Regnum Christi and Opus Dei and um, Community Emmanuel, Community Beatitudes, you know, all these different young movements. He called them all to Rome. Well, guess what the Holy Father actually said? He said... The charismatic dimension of our faith is co-essential with the institutional. Wow. The Pope saying the charismatic dimension of our faith is co-essential with the institutional, which means it's not kind of this fringy thing, you know, for that little group over there. This whole broad range of charisms is for the whole church. Um, anyway, so pick up those. Also, very good book to read. 
uh, as by New Pentecost. This is by Patty Gallagher Mansfield. Patty Gallagher Mansfield was Patty Gallagher in the late 60s, a student at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. And she was one of about, well, less than 30 students from Duquesne who were on a retreat one weekend. There's supposed to be a birthday party on Saturday night at the retreat. And one by one, they all felt this inspiration to just go stop by the chapel and make a little prayer. Well, pretty soon they're all there. And all of a sudden, there was this manifestation of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that was the beginning of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal in 1968. And now there are, I don't know, 10 million Charismatic Catholics around the world. I don't know, something like that. Great book for you to read if you want to. So here we are at the end of this talk in which I have waxed way too eloquent to ask you this question. And again, it's a rhetorical question. The question is, do you trust him? Do you trust the Holy Spirit? He's never going to give you anything bad for you. Okay, even if he puts his finger on something that hurts, it's never going to be anything bad for you. Do you have an obstacle? Like me, do you have an intellectual block? If you do, then if you decide to get prayed with for baptism in the Holy Spirit, just ask for prayers that your intellectual block would be taken out of the way. That might be the first thing. Another thing to ask yourself, is there anybody that I have a grudge with? Okay, is there anybody, like maybe my dad, my mom, my somebody in my past, old boyfriend, old girlfriend, or anybody that I have a grudge with, somebody I need to forgive? Because when you're trying to operate with the Holy Spirit, having uh, an issue of unforgiveness of your life can be like having a piece of ice in your straw when you're trying to slurp a Coke. <laughs> you know, If you get a chunk of ice stuck in your straw, it's really hard to get the Coke. It's very hard to get the grace that's present here if you're bearing a grudge, if you're struggling with unforgiveness. So if you are... Tell the Lord, Lord, I'm having trouble forgiving this person, but I want to. I don't want this to be in the way of my relationship with you. And just lay it all out there for him. Another obstacle could be just worrying that you're not worthy. Okay, well, guess what? You're not. Okay, neither am I. None of us are worthy. That's not what it's about. Uh, It seems like the Lord only came for unworthy people. So (laughs) if you think you're unworthy, good. You're in good company. You're not worthy. Another thing that can be a problem is if you just dismiss it as not valuable. You know, it's all emotional. You know, charismatics, you know, they're all into the emotional highs and they're trying to work themselves into a frenzy or something like that. Okay, don't let yourself do that. (laughs) There are people who do that, but that's not what this is. Okay, And then lastly, uh, maybe there's this wedge driven between the charismatic and the traditional. You know, maybe you're more comfortable with Latin mass or, you know, just a more sort of formal way of going about things. That's okay. You, you can like those things. You can be more at home in those things. But the Holy Spirit still has charisms for you to do what God is calling you to do in your mission in the world. All right. So. Um, you have an opportunity if you want to. I have some people here who have some background and experience with praying for baptism in the Holy Spirit or praying for a new release of the Holy Spirit in your life. So if you would like to, you can stay and be prayed with. I'm imagining that some people might have a few questions, so maybe we'll take a few minutes for some questions, and then um, I'll just get the groups together, and anybody who wants to leave can leave. Anybody who wants to stay and be prayed with can stay. Does that sound all right? Any questions? Anybody got any? Yes. You said that that's the tongues are lost against the first step. Very good. The other gets to be tough tongues. Is it a progression to go to get the test there and you have to go to the rest? Okay. It, for this one with tongues, we're talking in the we're in the realm of extraordinary gifts. So it's not like saying if you don't have tongues, you can't have wisdom and you can't have understanding. Yeah, when you're in. Okay, it's not impossible for somebody to have other gifts without tongues. It's just easier and more likely if you if you yield to tongues, you'll be able to yield to the others. It's it's just kind of a more likely situation, but not an impossible 
situation at all. So, yeah. Yes? I guess that was a little bit confusing because I had thought before that God didn't necessarily give all of the extraordinary gifts to every person. He doesn't. And so the way you're talking is like that if you yield to the gift of tongues, you will get the gift of tongues. But I sort of I just came into this thinking that it isn't something that necessarily, because it's one of the extraordinary gifts, mm-hmm. God would give to necessarily every person. Right. Okay. Well, in the in the uh, in the scriptures, Saint Paul um, would confirm what you're saying. He he has a little passage in here where he says, "Do all get tongues? Do all interpret? Do all prophesy? Do all do this? Do all do that?" And the implied answer is no. But he also says, "How I wish that all of you would speak in tongues." And my sense on that is that there are a certain number of people that, like me, have kind of an intellectual block with this. So. There are people who are held up by things like that and who, who never are able to manifest it. But it seems like, in reality, a more ordinary gift than we usually think of it as. And for some people, like myself, there was sort of this stepping out on a limb. You know, you get this, get this little mechanism going here that can get all locked up when you're tense. <laughs> you know, waiting for it to happen. What's it going to be like? You know, it seems like there's something about borrowing someone else's prayers to, to learn to yield to this that, that simplifies it so you don't have to think about it and um, so most people who want to can yield to this gift and maybe I'll just pause and tell a little story about this um, we were running the Born in Spirit program in, in Steubenville one time and we were having the, the evening of empowerment and there was a girl who I think her name was Martha or Margaret or something like that and she had been prayed with in her group and it was all you know her group was done and somebody came up to me and tapped me and they said um Martha was wondering if you would pray with her. So I went over and she'd already been prayed with. So I wasn't really sure why she wanted to be prayed with. But she said, well, I just, I just wanted to, I just wanted you to pray with me. So, okay, fine. So we kneeled down or get down on the floor. She was sitting on the floor. And so I sat down on the floor and I started to pray. And the only thing that came into my mind when I was praying with her was ask her if she would like to receive the gift of tongues. So that's what I said. Would you like to receive the gift of tongues? And she got kind of this funny look on her face and kind of went, Okay. So I said, okay, just listen to the way that I'm praying and pray along with me. Not for one single syllable did she imitate anything that I said. She came right out. As soon as she opened her mouth, this whole new language of her very own was right there. She couldn't say anything that I was saying. And I was praying in a very simple, slow, kind of paced manner, you know. Um, There it was. All she had to do was open her mouth and start. And it was right there. And I've, I've had other experiences like that with, with other people. So I would just say don't be afraid of that. And also don't, don't just sort of wait for French to come popping out of your mouth. You know, don't, don't, for some people it happens that way. There's this rush and it just all comes out. But for others of us, we have to have a little help. Yeah. So, but it is, it is more ordinary than we think. Yeah. It's kind of a beginner gift when it comes to this extraordinary stuff. Yeah. I know that some people are really wanting to be prayed with, so I'm going to cut the questions at this point and just excuse anybody who needs to go. But anybody who would like to stay, please move toward the front. Anybody who's here to do prayer ministry, if you would come up front here with me and we'll kind of lay out a a plan here. And I think Don's going to give us a little music. So could I have the prayer ministry people come up here, please? Okay, thanks for listening. There's lots more good stuff at DaveNevins.com. And don't miss the book Surrendering to Abundance, which has a wealth of great material on hearing God's voice more clearly with over 150 examples and lessons learned, stories, interviews, and that's available on Amazon. So, enjoy. Enjoy.